Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. For this episode, Executive Pastor Kevin Haskins brings us his sermon, Going the Extra Mile. God shows us how we can move toward an all-inclusive love, even with all the mess that may bring. Let's join Pastor Kevin now as he begins with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, as we come this morning, we come to rely on your word as the song that we've just sung before was describing. Father, we, we come submitting ourselves to your word, recognizing that through your Holy Spirit, you have spoken. And Father, we, we come recognizing you, as we've described earlier, that you are a holy and good God, and that you have not left us by ourselves, but that you have reached out to us with your grace and your mercy. And part of that grace and mercy is that you have given us your word. And so we pray this morning as we, as we sit under it, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, work your word down into our heart. That you would change us and shape us, that you would transform us in the way that we think, that we would think your thoughts after you. Father, this morning, may your word have preeminence. In Christ's name, amen. Our passage today is the third of a three-part unit within the Sermon on the Mount on this idea of surpassing righteousness. Two weeks ago, Pastor Jay spoke, and he gave us the first unit. And then last week, Pastor Rob, he spoke, and he gave us the second unit. And this morning, we're going to have the third. And it's a little bit of a unit within the Sermon on the Mount. But because these messages cover kind of a single stream of thought, I want to put some stakes in the ground, as it were, or review some points that have been brought up before, uh, before we move into the message this morning. So I have six points that I want to kind of go back through and just kind of put, again, a stake in the ground for us. The first one is that God always intended the Mosaic law to be followed from the heart. This is something that Pastor Jay talked about. And the passage that he used to describe that was Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 6, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Again, God always intended for the Mosaic law to be followed from the heart. Point number two God's people need a change, need a changed heart to be able to obey from the heart. Deuteronomy 5.29, God acknowledges this by saying, oh, that they, and he's speaking of Israel here, oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments. Even here in Deuteronomy 5, he's acknowledging the people need a new heart. 
Point number three, the Holy Spirit makes hearts new. Pastor Rob kind of discussed this last week. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, it says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit makes hearts new. The fourth point is that the way of receiving a new heart is by faith in Jesus. I think that Robin and Jay both poked at this, and the verse that I want to just read here is from John 7. Jesus is speaking, and he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So we receive the Spirit by believing in Jesus. Point number five, hearts led by the Spirit fulfill God's desires. Paul in Galatians 5 says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Hearts that are walking in step with the Spirit fulfill the desires that God has. And then the last point, six, hearts rooted in love reveal surpassing righteousness. And this is a passage that we've read before. It's Matthew 22, and it says, And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. As we love God and as we love others out of our heart, we're fulfilling the law. So just to wrap kind of all of those points together in a bow, it's the Sermon on the Mount is picturing what it looks like for a disciple to operate in this new heart that God has given and to follow the Spirit's leading to love. And that leads us to the first point this morning, that hearts led by the Spirit set aside defensiveness. Jesus addressed the issue of personal retaliation in verses 38 and four, through 42. I'm going to read that for us. He says, you have heard it said that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus started with the Old Testament teaching on retaliation. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a, a direct but a partial quote from other passages in the Old Testament. Leviticus 24, 19 is one of those passages, and it says, 
If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. I want us to understand that God intended this law of retaliation as a way to restrain sin. In the ancient Near East, excessive retaliation often led to the guilty party receiving a grossly unfair punishment. Genesis 4 illustrates this when Lamech states, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Lamech illustrates how the hardness of men's heart led to excessive retaliation. God gave the law of retaliation as a way of creating a maximum punishment to ensure that the punishment that the courts extended was both fair and balanced. The underlying principle that the punishment should fit the crime, it's the foundation of all of our court systems today, most of them, I should say. But Israel, their teachers twisted God's original intent. What God originally intended to restrain revenge, the Pharisees saw as their permission for personal revenge. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth became the minimum required payment for personal disagreements. Ironically, the teachers turned God's maximum restraint to end revenge into their personal right for revenge. But Jesus gets to the heart of the matter in terms of private retaliation when he says, do not resist the one who is evil. The term resist here has the idea of actively opposing. To fight back against, Jesus is basically saying, don't set yourself up against the other person. Don't fight back. Trust God enough to accept the injustice. Put aside your defensiveness when it comes to personal retaliation. Now, Jesus is going to use four illustrations to clarify what he means. And the four illustrations each teach a concept. And that concept is that my choices either extend love or cause another to suffer. And rather than returning evil for evil, Jesus invites us to respond with loving selflessness. When given the choice out of love, we, we should bear the consequences rather than causing another to bear them. Let me say that again. When given the choice out of love, we should bear the consequences rather than cause another to suffer those consequences. In each of these four cases, we're not called to blindly accept evil, but to intentionally choose when a response of love is called for. The first illustration is 
Disciples are to elevate love over protecting our reputation. In verse 39, he says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus is picturing a personal dispute here that leads to a slap on the right cheek. How many of you are right-handed? I'm right-handed. Most of us are right-handed. In order for me as a right-handed person to slap you on the right cheek, I have to backhand you. And in Jewish culture, for someone to slap another person with the back of their hand was an incredible insult to their reputation. Jesus is not asking his disciples to remain under physical and emotional abuse. What he's pointing to is that disciples should not resist personal insults to their reputation. We're to leave our reputation in God's hands. So what does it look like to follow the Spirit's lead to love? Well, turning the other cheek means that in the freedom that you have in Christ, choose not to trade insults with a person. Don't respond to that Facebook post. Don't respond to that email. Don't respond to the comment at work. Don't grumble to others about someone. Even when your reputation is on the line, we are to choose to love that person. The next illustration that Jesus gives us is that disciples are to elevate love over protecting our possessions. Verse 40 says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. Jesus is picturing here an, a legal dispute, a legal dispute that has led to a disciple having to give a pledge or having to give a legal judgment. And in that culture, if someone didn't have enough money or enough property, they might actually have to pay with articles of clothing. Now, a tunic is something similar to a shirt, and most people had multiple tunics. But a cloak, a cloak was something more akin to a heavy coat. And most people only had a single heavy cloak, and that was often used to keep them warm at night. And so the Mosaic law said it was not legal, it was in fact inhumane to ask for somebody's cloak. What does it look like to follow God's lead to love? Instead of setting yourself up against another person who is claiming something from you, who is looking to take something from you, Disciples are to go beyond what is required. Responding with grace, to use Jesus' illustration, responding to grace to someone who's dragging you into court would be a, an act of radical love. And Jesus is saying, trust God enough with your possessions 
that you can freely use those possessions to extend grace to another person, even when that person is trying to take something from you. His next illustration is, disciples are to elevate love over protecting our freedom. In verse 41, it says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, Jesus is picturing something here that was rather common in that culture. They were occupied by the, by the Roman Empire. And in Roman-occupied territories, a Roman soldier had the right to compel you to carry his equipment one Roman mile, or essentially what might be understood as a thousand paces. And for the Jews, this was incredibly humiliating. And you can kind of understand why. Imagine that you're walking on your way to business, you're walking on your way to the market, and you are now compelled to go the opposite direction. Sweaty, hauling equipment, doing something you don't want to do, going the opposite direction you want to go. And this was considered incredibly humiliating. So what does it look like to apply this in the way that we follow the Spirit's lead to love? Well, your life is full of demands. You're all very well aware of that. You have obligations, but your obligations require you to go that first mile. But love says that we go beyond what is asked. Going the extra mile for someone often opens conversations that would never have happened in the first mile. When I do what I am compelled to do, if I grumble underneath my voice, that doesn't lead to conversations. But if I go beyond that, if I go the second mile, it leads to conversations that wouldn't have happened in that first mile. It, we all know what it's like when somebody goes the extra mile for us. It's inviting. It's winsome. It's endearing, and we want to know, why? Why are you doing this? And so Jesus is calling us to open doors for the gospel, for, his, for explaining grace that would have otherwise stayed closed. The last illustration that Jesus gives in this four-set illustration is disciples are elevated to elevate love over protecting our property. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is describing a disciple who comes across someone who is begging. And in that Jewish culture, most Jews loathed the idea of begging. It just, they were too proud to beg. So as Jesus is describing this situation, what it likely means is that he's describing someone who has a real, desperate need. They're hurting, they're in need of help, 
And the disciple is the one who has the means to help. So what does it look like to extend love in this situation? God brings people with all kinds of stories across your path. And how will we respond to the story that is that person's life? It may be a story of difficulty. Six, 12, 18 months without a job. A story of addiction that began with surgery but ended with addiction to the pain medication. A story of bad choices that they're simply finding difficult to unravel. Jesus is picturing a choice. And the choice is, will I protect my own future, my money, my property, my phone, Or will I set aside that protection and defensiveness? Will I allow God to use my possessions to help another person's future? Or will I circle the wagons around my things and protect mine? Will we set ourselves against the welfare of that other person or will we choose to love them? But Jesus doesn't stop here. He actually is gonna elevate love even a little higher if it's, if it's possible. And so that leads us to our second major point and that is that hearts led by the Spirit will love an enemy. Jesus is going to address the issue of love and hate in verses 43 through 48. Let me read that briefly for us here. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So we see here that Jesus is going to start with the common understanding of what it means to love people. He says, you shall love your neighbor. Well, We've heard that. That's from the Mosaic Law. Most of us are very familiar with that commandment. And later in the book of Matthew, Jesus calls that the second greatest commandment and the fulfillment of the law. But that other phrase, hate your enemy, that's not in the Mosaic Law. 
You'll search a long time to find that anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not there. The Pharisees had reached a wrong conclusion. And that conclusion that they had reached was that loving your neighbor caused an equal and opposite reaction, hating your enemy. The religious leaders focused on distinguishing their neighbor from their enemy because they came to that conclusion. And in some ways, you might understand it. If I can limit the pool of people who are considered my neighbor, maybe I've got a better chance of loving them well. But they missed the real point. And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter as it relates to loving other people. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Agape is the word for love here, and it means the choice to act in the best long-term interest of the other person. The primary issue when loving other people is not who qualifies as my neighbor, nor is it even who qualifies as my enemy. The primary issue is will I be the neighbor? Am I willing to be the neighbor? Will I act in the best long-term interest of that person, regardless of whether I struggle to love them or even if they've actually done something to harm me? Jesus is also commanding that the disciples are to pray for those who persecute them. Why? Why would, he, why would he call them to do that? He's calling them to do that because the act of praying for someone is literally placing them before the throne of God. When I'm harassed by someone, I'm to pray for their best. When I'm frightened by someone, I'm to pray for their welfare. When I'm bullied by someone, I am to pray for their good. I pray because prayer commits their best to God. I'm still left wondering why. Why is God calling us to extend ourselves in this way? And Jesus answers that in three answers here. The first one is, all-inclusive love distinguishes us as family. In verse 45, it says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus has a reason or purpose why we should do good to our neighbor enemy. God provides his common grace to everyone who is a part of the human race. He doesn't just give his common grace and his common love to those who are good or those who are just. He extends his love to all.
We are being called to love our enemies because it is a distinguishing characteristic of our heavenly Father. The point is, if God inclusively loves people, even those who are opposing him, then his children should follow his example. Jesus is going to give a second, almost counterintuitive reason why we should extend radical love. And that is that ordinary love does not distinguish us from the world. Verse 46 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Interestingly, Jesus is saying here that there's nothing distinguishing about returning love when you've been loved. Jesus is saying the tax collectors and the pagans do exactly the same thing. And he's using the example of tax collectors and the Gentiles or the pagans because in his culture, those would have been the most reviled people. And he's creating this contrast. He's saying even the people that we revile do these things. It's not meritorious. Jesus is saying that love for love is basically the way the world works. Quid pro quo. You've scratched my back, I scratch yours. You've loved me, I'm loving you back. In other words, he's saying, why would God reward you when the person returning your love has already rewarded you? He's creating a contrast. He's not saying don't love your wife because she loved you. Don't go home and say that. I didn't say that. What he's saying is loving the person who doesn't love you back will be rewarded. And he gives one more final reason for extending radical love. All-inclusive love distinguishes us as godly. Verse 48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that word perfect, uh, it has a number of meanings. It has the meaning of perfect. Obviously, that's why it was chosen in the translation. But it also means full, mature, complete, kind of poking at the culmination of something. And Jesus is saying that disciples are to have a mature, a complete character like God's character. But Jesus calling us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect happens within a context. And that context is the all-inclusive love of God. Jesus is teaching that the Father's perfect love is without discrimination. He loves all people. Let's be clear about something. Loving people with that kind of an all-inclusive love is messy. 
Loving those that consider themselves your enemy is messy. Loving someone who wants to hurt you can be messy. Loving those who are set on damaging your reputation, messy. Loving someone who just simply wants something from you, messy. But here's the thing. God intentionally moved into the messiness of loving you. When God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created this world, they created the world knowing full well that that creation would fall. Messy. They knew full well that that fall would lead to a redeemer on a cross. Very messy. Knowing full well that that redeemer would return one day to judge the world. Messy. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit intentionally moved into the messiness of loving us well. And so we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We are to intentionally move into the messiness of loving others well. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.